When I was a preteen, I would hide in the back of my closet, fondling my precious CDs from Two Live Crew, Boys to Men, and Tupac. They were my world. I dreamed of seeing them just once face to face. The booklets inside the CD cases grew tattered as I studied every word. After having my heart broken by my first love, I knew the streets would accept me. The streets are very accepting, but they aren't forgiving. My heart began to change. I sought the love and relationship that poured from boys to men, who I met many years later, and they're pretty awesome people and remarkably human. <laughs> but I only understood the pain and hurt of Two Life Crew and Tupac. The sexual abuse of my preschool years buried inside of me. I knew how to find love. Sex was the answer. It was the way to fill the emptiness and pain in my heart. That is the beginning of chapter two of my book, Surviving Trafficking and the Anti-Trafficking Movement, and a great way to start talking about what we're talking about today, selling stories and really just defining the terms and starting to define the terms around the sex industry because words mean things. Hi y'all, my name is Jess Rich. Welcome to Whores Do It Best, a business podcast. This is episode six, and for the first 12 episodes, we are rolling through my journey from being a charismatic evangelical Christian to whatever the heck I am now, but fully believing that sex workers' rights are completely and totally tied to the rights of trafficking survivors and everyone who's ever been in the industry because really it's all the same thing and um, we're there for different reasons. Some people love to be there, other people don't. And there's everything in between. Before I could access the amazing skills that I learned while I was in the sex industry, I had to dismantle the stigma that existed in my own mind surrounding my story. So these next few episodes are going to be fun because we're going to go into my journey through the anti-trafficking movement and these massive paradigm shifts that I had that made me see the nuances and just carry on. So welcome. Please feel free to share this podcast with a friend because this journey is always more fun to do with a friend. And if you don't mind, leave me a review. It would be very, very helpful because that digital currency, that love that costs nothing and yet really helps me. So if you don't mind sharing, leaving a review, that would be incredibly incredible. <laughs> I was a teen in the 90s, and it was an amazing era of media, really TV, and the introduction of the internet coming into full force. Like it was the baby, the baby times of tech. I am a baby Gen Xer. And when my father was killed, I was suddenly left coming home from school. And my mom wasn't there. She was working and she had always been a stay-at-home mom and now she wasn't. And so the t television media really just took over my childhood and my teen years. And I started learning from the music, 
the culture, the movies. And now that is even more dramatic because we have cell phones, we have smartphones that are with us all the time. But that influence was there and it was so pivotal because it allowed me to go into someone else's world and feel and desire something different. And this lifestyle of pimps and hoes was always appealing. And when Pretty Woman came out, I was like, whoa, there's this entire lifestyle that appeared fun and it appeared like money, like luxury. And it was like glamorized in society. And yet I had all of this shame around sexuality. And so I had these conflicting views where I felt powerful in my sexuality and yet was con and hurt in my sexuality. And yet it was glamorized and all I really wanted was love. As a teen, I couldn't understand the nuances of relationships. And my parents did not have a good marriage. It was not healthy at all. And in fact, when he was murdered, it was kind of like a sweet release for both my father and my mother. My dad was tormented his entire life. And my mom said it best. She said, sometimes... God sacrifices the flesh to save the soul. And she truly meant that about my father. He was simply so tormented that him dying, not by his own hand, was like a gift of grace, as fucked up as that seems. But he was that tormented, and he was killed in 89, so the mental health revolution hadn't started yet. And there really wasn't a lot of options for people who were so tormented as him. My father was the oldest of 10 children and it came from just a horrific childhood. So when he was murdered in a way, my mom was set free and she was able to explore more of herself and more of her own freedom and found passion in herself and started to remove herself from the Christian cult that I was raised in. They were like, jumped off the Pentecostal bandwagon. It was really intense Christianity in a very spiritualism form. But we were always poor, dirt poor, like trailer trash poor, like trailer park girls running around the outside all day long. We were poor, poor, poor. And as my mom found her freedom, she also found access to money. She was, she changed her life. She lost weight. And I saw my mom rise in a very powerful way. And then I also saw her get into a relationship with a man that was not good for her. She described her two marriages as being like apples. My father was rotten on the outside, but had a beautiful core. Her second husband was beautiful on the outside, but had a rotten core. And that was a really profound after her divorce with her second husband, how she reflected on those things and how she saw that she just transferred her power from one man to another man with a few year gap in the middle. 
And in that gap, she found her power. And that was my like 10 to 13 year old age. You combine those experiences with what was happening in our culture and it primed me to desire success and luxury and a different life. We had never had roots. I had traveled my entire childhood. When people ask me where I'm from, I say the Western region of North America because I have traveled my entire life. So starting from a really tender age, like my preteens, adolescence, I was just inundated with all of this media that I loved. And this lifestyle of pimps and hoes just didn't seem so bad compared to the poverty I had lived within. And I was already like hella fucked up. I was a re- quote unquote rebellious teen and no one knew how to help me. No one could help me. I would make counselors cry. So what was I to do other than chase luxury? So it only makes sense when a pimp asks me when I'm 17, you know, if you're already having sex, why wouldn't you want to get paid? It was like, yeah, that was an easy yes. It wasn't even like difficult for him. And he gave me a fake ID. I created an entirely new identity and lived under this identity for four and a half years. Joanna, my other name, was five years older than who I am. And so I went from 17 to 22 in one day. And there was so much freedom in that. I had this immediate gratification of a different life. Well, as life went on and I ended up getting away from him and then staying in the sex industry and really finding a lot of my power and my sexual power and this ability to make money, earn money just easily, effortlessly. As life went on and I ended up squaring up and I I was so messed up, I had to go deep into my healing There really wasn't a lot of options for me to like heal or not heal. I had to heal because I was a train wreck. I was more than a hot mess. I was like a hot disaster. (laughs) It was crazy. And so healing was not an option. And as I walked through my healing in my early 20s, really from the time I had my daughter in 2000 until about 2004 was a really deep time of healing for me. I I had to go to the depths of my soul and the only words I had for my experiences were pimps and hoes. That's who I was. And so that healing with those words was really easy because I was owning my portion of what I had done. I was owning my decisions. And so healing without a victim mindset is really a lot easier than trying to heal while being the victim of a crime. So it wasn't until 2009 that I heard the word trafficking for the first time. And this launched me into this entire deep study on marketing, humanity, and that words mean things. Damn it, they mean a lot of things, but they're different to different people. Like if I were to say the word trafficking, we would have all these different images in our head. Every person would have a different image of what trafficking is in their head. If I were to say prostitution or prostitute, we would all have a different image in our head as to what what that looks like. 
And how many of you would think about um, boys, men, transgender individuals? Why do we only think women? If we were to say whore or hoe, we have different, we have different thoughts. If I were to say trafficked person, trafficked victim, trafficking survivor, we all create these images in our head as to what the words mean. And they're different for every single person. And that alone took me so long to figure out that every single word we use means something different to me than it means to you. And when we can learn to see what our words mean and how other people are applying their words to our stories, that is when we can really magnify our impact on the world. But first I had to learn what the words meant. There's so much conflict between the image of what it means to be in the sex industry from the two major demographics of people who are involved in it or talk about it. And what I'm talking about is the sex workers' rights and sex workers as compared to the anti-trafficking or anti-prostitution, anti-porn, anti-sex people because there's a whole lot of antis out there that are voicing their opinion about things that may not currently impact them. And that to me was one of the biggest differences that I saw between the two arenas. With sex workers' rights, there are very few people who are passionate about the rights of sex workers who have not experienced the industry in some way, shape, or form within, in their life. But the vast majority of anti-trafficking activists have never been in the industry. And because of that, because these organizations are not founded or ran by people who are seeing the wholeness of the industry, it creates so much distortion of what the words mean within the marketing of their nonprofits, within their, the marketing, within their message, within the stories that they tell. When I first started the journey into asking more questions about what do these words mean to current sex workers, what does the anti-trafficking movement, how does that impact sex work and people who are there willingly. I ended up running into a woman named Carol Lee. She has turned into one of my dearest friends and probably the most pivotal influence in my life when it came to understanding the words. She has spent decades studying and being a part of the sex industry, like she has been in it. In fact, she is the woman who coined the phrase sex work, right? Mind-blowing. So somehow our paths crossed and I was in my own world. I was just kind of manic and trying to figure out what everything meant. And she was patient and diligent. And somewhere along the line, 
I realized that she saw me in a different way. And our brains somehow work in a very similar path. I don't know how else to explain that, but when you get someone, you just get them. And she sent me her book. The If you're watching on, you're listening on YouTube, it's The Unrepentant Whore. You can see the cover of it. <laughs> it she sent me her book and it blew my mind. The first thing I noticed was this most amazing serendip serendipitous moment that she had been on the Geraldo show in 1998 and was wearing a dress made out of the American flag. And I watched that episode when I was nine years old. I remembered seeing it and it was this, oh, moment that just blew my mind. I immediately messaged her and I was like, I remember you. But as I read her book, which you can see is it's all highlighted it up, highlighted up and it really transformed my views and my thoughts. But she wrote something in here that really changed the way that I felt about my own stigma. She said, the women in the porn magazines made me feel exposed and envious. I longed for an analysis that would incorporate my contradictory needs to be free of sexual shame and to criticize and change the sexual imagery in our culture. When I understood that even someone who wrote a book titled The Unrepentant Whore would have the same feelings that I had, and we had entirely different lives, she wasn't trafficked, and so we came to this from a different perspective, from a different lifestyle. And I understood that the sex industry was such a big place that we could have entirely different experiences and never know the other existed. And so there are many, many trafficking survivors out there like myself who had horrific experiences and never really knew anyone in the industry that had an experience like Carol Lee who had the experience of choosing it in an exploration of their own sexuality. And understanding that there is such segregation within the experiences of the people who have been in the industry, that idea made my head just completely explode. Because so many things made sense. We have the anti-trafficking movement, the anti-porn, the, the like all kinds of people who are just against, they're fighting against sexuality and the industry that sells it. And they're right. They're sharing their stories, their pain, their hurt. They're sharing their experiences, but they're not seeing a bigger picture that there are people that can be in the industry and have a radically different experience. And yet we all use the same words like prostitute, whore, or sex worker. And on the other side, when we look at the marketing of sex workers and we look at sex workers' rights, 
They are literally forced to keep up an appearance of willfully wanting it and enjoying it in order to continue selling services. Now, something amazing has happened over the last decade that is absolutely mind-blowing, and it is the mental health industry. And so the facade is falling down and reality is coming out about the sex industry and the nuances. There are millions of reasons why people are in the industry. And we have no clue what each individual's person, what each individual's reason is for being in the industry without actually asking them. And then it is not our job to impose our morals or quote unquote love onto any other person. But to simply listen, observe, ask questions, and if there is a need, do your best to fill it. Here's where it gets really ugly. It's the marketing and the fundraising for the antis in general. Because in order to do fundraising for individuals who have been trafficked, you can't show them as 15-year-old, 20-year-old, 30-year-old sex workers. That doesn't raise a lot of money. What raises money is kids in cages, dirty children with chains and ropes around their arms and legs, or my least favorite image, the hand, the dark hand over the mouth of a scared girl. Those images are absolutely ridiculous. And it furthers the divide because it distorts the image of what the sex industry actually is and the nuances and the reasons why people enter. Over and over again, within the anti-trafficking movement, there are incredible stories of people who have overcome amazing things. But most of the time, it's not the full story. It's just the rescue. It's just the, they got safe. It doesn't say how they are today. And many times when you meet the people that were in those videos, that were in the fundraising videos, these amazing testimonials of awesome rescues, when you hear their story now, years later, it's ugly. They were used and they were exploited for their story. They were probably not given the resources. They did not get support. They did not get the help they needed. I am telling you, 99 times out of every 100, that is the story that I heard. The re-exploitation of victim stories for fundraising is absolutely grotesque. And it always made me wonder, how are you, quote unquote, rehabilitating, quote unquote, victims 
when your marketing is talking about victims. It doesn't work. You cannot have both sides. You are either giving people power and you're giving them authority over their life or you are not. There is no middle ground. So whenever I see an organization raising money for victims or using survivor stories without the long-term journey included, I know we have a problem. I don't need to go any deeper because you can't promote a victim mindset and produce people who are confident and fully in their power. Thank you so much for joining me on this episode of Whores Do It Best. I love you tons. I hope you have an amazing day. Episodes come out every Tuesday and Thursday, and I look forward to seeing you next week. Thank you so much for joining me. Have a badass day.